I'm going to hit my head on this thing because for whatever reason, I just don't know that it's there. Welcome to How Come Why, where I try to get simple answers to complicated questions. I'm Joseph. This is set one. Let's do it. Aaron, to start us off, what qualifies you to speak on the subject we're discussing today? Well, I am currently a lecturer. I'm the director of forensics. That's intercollegiate speech and debate at Humboldt State University in Arcata, California. I started my master's degree way back in 2005 at the University of Oregon, where I studied rhetoric and education. And um, the particular part of education was um, childhood development and in particular sensory acquisition and how we learn to make sense of the world and where sense comes from. So it's something that I've loved for a long time. You came to me with a, a recollection from a class long ago, a little talking point <laughs> that I still use to this day that I think is pretty effective. And I'm just real fired up to elaborate on it. Awesome. So here's the general idea, right? You, you know, we know that like um, a dog can carry a very big stick in their mouth. Uh, and then, you know, try to run through a door and basically get stuck. And that doesn't happen with, with people as often, right? We're wearing a very tall hat. We intrinsically understand that the doorway is too low for us to get through with our hat. And so the question that we're exploring is um, how come why we duck under doors? Yeah, I think it's a great um, inroad to this question where we talk about what's called elastic peripersonal space. The short answer that I wrote to your question, how come, why we duck when we wear tall hats under doors is because your body is where your brain thinks it is. That is um, true of all animals in a lot of ways, so far as I understand it, but not so with all animals is it as elastic as it is with some. So, so. can you can you define the term elastic? Uh, what, yeah. what does that mean in this context? Yeah, um, it means it can stretch. It means it can expand. If you put your um, arm on the table and you imagine that your elbow is stuck to the table, you can move it in a kind of a half circle and you can imagine the distance of that circle. Now, your brain is um, engaging the stuff that you can reach. If you take a stick and you put that in your hand, that circle has expanded. And so now your brain is making sense of that difference in addition to what it was just making sense of. We can very, very visibly see and understand that the brain's awareness of where your body starts and stops in many cases, not just this one, can stretch. It can expand. For example, when I'm in my car, I, I, I don't know that I can explain it quite, but I feel the edges the of my car and I feel the road. And I can feel when a vehicle on the highway next to me gets a little too close and I'm aware of that. So is that in, in kind of the way you're describing it, is that my brain treating the car as an extension of my body for the time that I'm on the road? Yes. And this is the classic example, another classic example. And the example of the dog coming through the door is one that I use a lot to say that if you don't have this, it can be really like catastrophic. It can be really frustrating and it, it creates a whole lot of like just like trouble and, and problem solving in your life. But if you do have this, you, you really don't even notice it. You just walk through the door. You just mm -hmm. I mean, when it fails, we notice it. Some, not everyone has the same ability to do spatial reasoning. Spatial reasoning tasks are um, kind of particular for people. It's a skill. And some people have really great abilities um, kind of, you know, early on and other people have to learn it or develop it. And, um, you know, if you walk through doors a lot and hit your hats a lot or something like that, then, you know, it's that spatial reasoning isn't quite there and, and you realize it. Otherwise, 
you just go through the world as though that's the way things are. It seems in Frith's words, it's real. It's reality. It, it, it's not like you're touching the road. So far as the brain is concerned, you are touching the road. That's what you're doing. I want to I wanna explore a little bit more of what you're talking about with the, the concept of peripersonal space, because it sounds like it sounds like personal space is a thing and then peripersonal space is a thing. Can you explain the difference between those two? <laughs> peri-personal space is the space right around your body, just outside of your body. The way that I look at this distinction is that we tend to think of our body as the like so-called material surface, like your skin. That like, you hear me clapping, like that physical body is the personal. That's, that's what we tend to think of as like me. And the peri-personal space is the area, as I said, just beyond that just within reach of that. There's some really fascinating research about what happens if a gun or a weapon is within your peripersonal space or the peripersonal space of someone in your field of view. Your your brain responds to that like it's a threat um, Mm. because even though they're not holding it right now, the peripersonal bubble implicates that they could be holding that at any moment and that can be lethal and deadly. And so suddenly all of our uh, threat is going to be elevated whether we have reason to fear that person or not. And what gets me really fascinated is my understanding of who you are on the on the other side. So this is how I know myself, but it's also how I know you. It's also how I make sense of what Emmanuel Levinas calls the face of the other, this other person over there. And it gets real fascinating when we start looking at the ways that we argue and the language that we use and the spatial metaphors and things within that language to make sense of other people. So it's interesting. So, so peripersonal space is not how it's not just how I see myself and how I'm interacting with the space around me. It's also how I see other people mm-hmm. because I can recognize their peripersonal space and I see that as an extension of them, mm-hmm. which I think also goes back to the car thing, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody, somebody's driving really aggressively on the road. Yeah. I do think about the person, you know, who's sitting there behind the wheel, but because I am my car, they are their car. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I'm thinking, I'm not thinking about, I'm, I am thinking about the human, but the human and the vehicle are sort of intricately connected in that moment while I'm trying to make a decision about what the safest thing to do is to avoid an accident. And we all like understand this to our material being because if something happens that is violent to the car in front of us, our immediate reaction is like, oh my God, because we know there are humans in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's not like we lose track of that humanity. We know for a fact that that, car is in fact you know representative but in a very material sense a literal extension of those humans that are inside of it so so what's the limit of that of that elasticity like I, you could argue almost no limit right like somebody flying a 747 that kind of is included in their peripersonal space so to speak right isn't that exciting we we scaffold a lot of that out to artificial intelligence and computers and we have for a very very long time and a pilot will tell you, and, and, and a, a sailor will tell you, um, they, they feel it. They feel the boat, and they feel the water, and if something's wrong, they kind of feel it, and they kind of know it. And they're like, did you feel that? And it's like, yeah, what was that? And then right away, they're like, it felt like it was in the tail. You know, it's like when we look at sensation and we look at the way that it works, a term that comes from Blakesley and Blakesley's text, um, The Body Has a Mind of Its Own, which is another really great book to dig into if you like this stuff. They say sensation is translation, not transmission. It's translation. We translate what is real. It's not transmitted to us. It is transmitted to us, and then we make sense of it. We understand Mm. it as something that is sensible. 
And what the limit of that is, is something that we're constantly expanding upon. There's a DARPA program that has been um, in the public now for several years where they're trying to use um, Paul Bach Irita's research, which allows us to take like um, tactile stimulation, like touches to the skin, and to turn that into visual sight, something that I can see. And they want to make it so a soldier could like see a heartbeat through a wall. And so it's, it's not per se an expansion of peripersonal space, but the whole point of my metaphor when I'm given this speech is that your brain is thirsty for sense. It wants to make sense and it wants to make usable sense. And if you can give it just an inkling through this wonderful relationship it has with the rest of you called your body, it's going to grab it. And it's going to give you something that is called like an aware conscious moment. We, we see it, we feel it, we hear it. One thing we can very readily prove is that we can add new abilities to it and we can stretch and expand what we have. It's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking of, um, I don't know, are you much of a fan of uh, the Avatar The Last Airbender show? Um, it's come to me a lot through my students, but I've not really watched it a lot myself, so I can understand the references. The whole concept of, of Avatar is that you have you know these elements that you're working in, and somebody is naturally good at working with earth or fire or water or air. So there's a, there's a character, Toph, um, mm -hmm. and she's a princess and she's blind, and Toph has the ability to manipulate earth. And she uses, I, I believe it's called seismic sense, um, which is this ability that basically she developed and then trained other people to do because she's blind, where she can stomp on the ground, feel the vibrations through the ground and get a sense of her surroundings from that seismic sense. Yeah. And in, in this concept of elastic peripersonal space, it's really interesting to me because that doesn't seem incredibly far-fetched, the idea no. that somebody could actually extend their vision out yeah. past their their immediate you know, senses and their sensory yeah. experiences. It's not that far-fetched, and it's a great example because um, Dr. Neville, Helen Neville at the University of Oregon was the one I took a couple classes from that really just blew my mind to this content. And some of the stuff that she studied was how um, folks who have lost visible sight will um, develop um, increased ability to hear peripherally. Mm. And folks who lose their hearing will uh, increase their ability to see peripherally. And here, too, we see that prefix, P-E-R-I, peripheral hearing or peripheral viewing. Here again, we're talking about just beyond, just outside. One of the magic things of the brain is the places we point our attention will change the physical shape of the brain and then its ability to make sense of the world. When folks lose their, their visibility or folks that have no visibility, they will just attend more to that particular ability to make sense. And so this individual is attending more to a different ability to make sense. And the brain says, got it. Okay, thank you. And in instances of like mortal danger, the brain wants to really grab it and, 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 and map it on. So is this something that you could practice? I mean, could you practice extending out your peripersonal space into avenues that you're like not, you know, proficient in necessarily? I think so. I mean, I, I again, this is where you'd really want to defer to the folks within the field. But my understanding of this is that that folks that learn an instrument suddenly the instrument becomes part of their body and some people sit with instruments forever and they're like i do not understand this thing and it sounds terrible and i mm -hmm. hate it and i think a lot of people will be like well i just can't do it i just can't do it and what i tell them is it's like eventually it, it literally becomes a part of your body you just have to graft it onto your body and then like you can make it part of your body but that can take a while 
Like that can take a long time. And again, some people are better at it than others. And again, depending on your actionable potentials, I think that will increase or decrease the possibilities. So if, if you take this knowledge that we have of expanding your ability to make sense of the world and we get methodical with it, that's something that you can take on and you can learn how to do that. It's just um, frustrating and kind of exhausting. Like I can't just become a, an Olympic soccer player because I understand that I can expand my peripersonal space, but I can get better if I want. It's not for me now. It's no longer a question of can I get better at something? It's will I? So I had a, I had a, a question um, in and around this topic that I was talking to my buddy Justin about this and, and he was like, oh, ask him this. So Justin has this, uh, this fixture in his garage, just like the garage door opener. And he said that he's lived in the same house for 15 years and just can't seem to figure out where that thing is. And so he always hits his head on it if he's wearing, wearing shoes that are just a little bit too thick. So, so why does our sense of the world, why does it miss those things like it's hard <laughs> what we're trying to do and i do this too and there is no feeling there are a few feelings that are as frustrating as when you hit your head into something as though it's not even there mm -hmm. because your body wants to go through that thing and your skull is like ow and that is really painful when you walk you're artfully falling in masumi's terms you're throwing yourself forward and and the elasticity of your arms and your muscles and your body and the weight of your body and evolution and earth's perfect gravity all work together and so you ambulate down the world and you feel like you're moving but you're not thinking like left foot up one foot forward 0.5 feet meters per second <laughs> like that's not how that works you just kind of fling yourself forward. And if there's not a stair there and you think that there is a stair there, this is what Frith refers to as when the brain doesn't know. When the brain doesn't know. The, the brain just doesn't know stuff. It's just not going to learn some stuff. And if you find yourself regularly forgetting something, the brain has not and will not learn that. And you can know that. You can at least know that, which means you will become fearful of that room where you continually hit your head because you're <laughs> and then when you hit your head, you'll be like, I did it. You'll get mad at the fact that you did it again. So when when Justin hits his head on the, the garage door opener, that's a thing that will probably keep happening because probably. his brain probably refuses to learn or refuses yeah. to recognize that that yeah. thing is there. It's, it's, it's a good example. Like I said at the beginning of the interview, we notice it when it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. We notice it when it goes wrong. We expect our body to know where our head is and to know where that thing is because most of the time it does. And um, that is pretty amazing. We just blip through the world. And so we should expect lots of little happy accidents and unhappy accidents. And yeah, the answer to that question is it's probably going to continue. When we, when we do it enough, it, it, it's a clue that it's just not getting learned for some reason. So, <laughs> but, but again, you can know that. I tell students this a lot. It's not a failure um, as a student to find something you don't know. You got to know what you don't know. And if you know what you don't know, you can work around that ignorance really easily. Just own it. Just be like, like I'm going to hit my head on this thing because for whatever reason, I just don't know that it's there. So I'm just going to own that. And, and that makes me safer when I go into that room. So I, I want to circle back on something you said of not transmission, but translation. Yeah, and how how it's sort of our our brain's task to take in all of these extrasensory things, and 
translate them in the sense of like making sense of them as as we understand them yeah. i love the i love that idea of translation because you know there's there's a direct parallel to translating another language i heard a um a, a i don't remember who said this but um a, a marker that you are fluent in a language and that you are adequate as a translator is that you can tell a joke in that language that native speakers understand yeah the, the idea is that you not only speak the language but you understand the people that speak the language and you know what's going to be funny to them and yeah. you know that you understand the concepts of timing in right. in that culture um and i think it's interesting to for you to say like not everyone can do this because right. in the same way that not everyone can tell a joke in a language they speak not everyone can take those extrasensory things and turn them into something meaningful and useful right yep you know comedy is so difficult and i think that just from a performative standpoint stand-up comics are some of the most talented speakers on the planet um, not just because they can craft comedy but also again obviously because they can deliver it it's difficult i i like that comedy is as, as another parallel here because i think like um you know, not everybody thinks the same jokes are funny, <laughs> right. right? Not right. everybody, not everybody will perceive the world and their experiences in the world the same way. And that doesn't mean I think that, you know, anyone's at fault. We just have a difference of perception. So to, so to root this all back to the, the core concept that we're discussing, which mm -hmm. is elastic peripersonal space. Yeah. If I can, if I can summarize and you tell me where I, where I need to add more, where there's more nuance here, the, the human brain has the innate ability to extend beyond itself and to recognize other things in its immediate space as part of itself and as part of our body. And if we practice that, we can also naturally see uh, at times the perspective of the other and recognize the extensions of themselves. And so it's not, our, our brain is not limited to just what we, what we consider our immediate perception. It's capable of a lot more than that. And that's why we duck under doors when we're wearing a tall hat. We can also extend that ability out, out of the physical and we can turn it into something emotional and relational. Um, and so this concept of elastic peripersonal space almost feels like a stand-in for the ability to extend oneself outside of oneself and into another self <laughs> yeah. for the purpose of like communication and, and honestly survival. The two corrections I would offer would be first, we will and always focus the attention on and privilege the brain in this process. But every book that I'm reading talks about embodied cognition. The brain is necessary. Your, your foot isn't necessary. Your brain is necessary, but it's not sufficient. Your foot is part of why you duck when you go through that door and um, with, a, with a tall hat. And, and if some people are really, really short and other people are really, really tall, the really, really tall people by virtue of being tall will see the world and inhabit a slightly different world than the short people. So remember that it's about the body and the way that your body moves and the way that your body is viewed by other people and not just the brain. And then number two, it would be to really emphasize that there's a ton of potential for things that we can learn, like look at what we can do. But a huge part of this is hindsight. This can help us explain why we're struggling. This can help us explain why we're continuing. Like it can help us name our ignorance and work through that ignorance. And that while there's a lot of potential to come from this, it's also very much a way that we just make a ton of foolish mistakes and do real damage.
Super interesting. Yeah, anything, I really appreciate else? you giving me the chance. <laughs> yeah, of course. Anything else that you wanted to add? No, um, just, you know, really, whenever you hear people say, does that make sense? I just want people thinking of me being like, it does, and make more sense of it, make better sense of it, and kind of lean into sensibilities that don't make sense to you. And it's a much more interesting place when you can do that, I think. Thanks for listening. Check out the other episodes of Set One here. You can reach out to me at howcomewhypodcast at gmail.com, at howcomewhycast, or r slash howcomewhy. 